Let us remember we are always and everywhere in the holy presence of God. Hello, this is Rick, and welcome to the Presence Podcast, episode number 267. If you are a regular and loyal listener, you are probably noticing that this is getting posted even later than usual, afternoon on the day after I am describing. And unfortunately, that is the case. I'm here at school at my lunch hour, although it would be nice if it was an hour. I had an hour because I had fifth period, lunch period, free last year and the year before. This year, I have just 25 minutes, so I'm watching the clock to get this posted, and I am glad you are here with me as I talk about yesterday and share with you how I kept my eyes, my ears, and my soul open to the presence of God during my day on Monday. I like days like Monday where I have an idea early in the day of where I have experienced the presence of God. And then later in the day, something else happens. And rather than say, well, the more recent event happening is going to take precedence and cancel out the earlier one, I see connections between the two and a connection that is a revelation of the experience of the presence of God. So yesterday, the early experience was during school, during class. As I've done twice before this year, my religion classes and I celebrated the Jewish holiday. Now yesterday's holiday was the beginning of Sukkot. Now Sukkot is a Jewish holiday. It means feast or festival of booths. Now I want to spell that B-O-O-T-H or huts. And it is an eight-day festival beginning yesterday with the full moon of springtime, or excuse me, fall, autumn. And it is a holiday, a joyful, celebratory holiday that remembers a number of things, especially the experience of the Jewish people, the Hebrew people in the desert. And it was in the desert that they built these temporary structures, these huts. And what I was showing to my students and what we were learning about through some YouTube videos yesterday is why and how they build, Jewish people do, these huts. And basically they are to be built anywhere that the person, the people, live or have access to. Um, Usually in our area here, they would build them in a driveway or a backyard, but they can be built on a rooftop, they can be built on a street corner, uh, they can be built any number of different places, including even on a boat um, or something like that. And the idea is, is that you build them, there are certain specifications about the height, but interestingly enough, there are no specifications about the width. You can make them as wide as the earth, really. And the idea is, is that you can show hospitality by welcoming others into the structure if it is as broad as all of creation. Now, one other regulation that I think is particularly interesting is the roof. There needs to be a cover, and the cover needs to be of natural material. This would typically mean branches or palm fronds or something that is natural material. 
And the roof cannot be so opaque that the people inside of the hut, inside of the structure, are unable to see the stars. That's an important part of this symbolism, is that when you're in the hut, and Jewish people who are particularly devout will apparently sleep in the hut for the eight days of the festival, but I think many Jews will instead dine in the hut or, or maybe recreate or pray in the hut and then, of course, sleep under their roof. But the roof of the hut needs to be permeable so that one can be in there and at night see the stars. Because you'll remember from the book of Genesis that God's promise to Abraham and his descendants is that they would be as numerous as the stars. And this idea of seeing the stars, I think, is very metaphorical and very symbolic. And I'm going to try to post a little YouTube video. I'll tweet it out and I'll post it on the uh, Facebook page for the podcast. And it's a very short little video, less than two minutes. And it talks about Sukkot and, and the inspiration that others have drawn from it. And this idea of seeing the stars as a guide for us an encouragement for us in whatever challenges and whatever troubles that we might face. So I left school after having talked about that five times, one for each of my classes, and I went to my evening 12-step meeting. Now, again, anytime I talk about my 12-step recovery, I don't break anonymity except to say that it is not from a substance or something in action like gambling or something like that. It's, it's really about relationships and, and recovering from codependency and ways that I have struggled in my relationships. And um, one of the things that, that struck me last night is this particular group, as, as many groups do, they end the meeting before praying the serenity prayer and holding hands in a circle, which is, of course, highly symbolic. They read the promises. This comes from the AA Big Book, um, which is you know the Bible of the 12-step recovery movement, and there are promises in there. And hardcore AAers will be able to actually recite those from memory. I know people like that, that they can just recite them from memory. But this particular program, which is inspired, like many 12-step programs, by AA, has their own list of promises. And I'll, I'll read just a couple. There's 12, of course. But a couple of them are, our ability to share intimacy will grow inside of us. We will enjoy feeling stable, peaceful, and financially secure. We will learn how to play and have fun in our lives. Fears of failure and success will leave us as we intuitively make healthier choices. And there are more than that. But what I, I find fascinating about the promises is that people come to these meetings hurting. You, you don't get to a 12-step group unless your life is, as the program says, unmanageable. That you're in pain, that you're suffering, that you can't see the stars that the night is overcast and stormy and you may never believe that you could see light ever, ever again. But you end the meetings with these promises, with this hope, with this vision, with these stars that will guide you in a direction of recovery. And a promise that the old timers, the ones who have been working the program for years or decades perhaps, 
will say, yeah, I've experienced these promises. So the newcomer gets these as possibilities and the old timer, the experienced one in recovery, who is still working their program, we in the 12 steps say we never are fully recovered, we are always in recovery. The, full, the old timer will say, yeah, I've, I've experienced those, those, um, those promises coming true and here's how and that's part of their recovery story. So I was struck by this idea of seeing the stars literally through the roof of the sukkah, the hut that is made on this holiday, and the stars metaphorically in the promises that guide us, that give us hope, that orient us in a certain direction, that we know our recovery is progressing when we are experiencing the fruits of these promises. We know we're heading in the right direction. So in conclusion, before the bell rings here in a few minutes and I go back to five, my third of my five classes and my three back-to-back -back afternoon classes, ugh, what are the stars in your life? And I don't mean stars, sports stars or performers or any of that kind of silliness, but what guides you? What orients you? What gives you light? What shines in your darkest night? And how is God present in that? How is God revealed to you in that image of the stars? As always, thanks for listening. Blessings and peace.